All right, well, welcome to our last week of study of the book of Jonah. We're going to be studying the fourth chapter, also known as chapter four. And so let's pray and then study God's word. Father, we are gathered in your house, Lord. We're gathered in, in the name of Jesus, Lord. All these, Lord, here and those listening who have bowed the knee before Jesus the Christ, those who have received you as Lord and Savior, who have been born again, Lord, we are gathered in your name, and we are brothers and sisters because of the blood that was shed on Calvary. It's such a beautiful thing, Lord, that you have bound us together, Lord. And you continue to bind us, Lord, by the word, and you continue to instruct us how to be these sons and daughters that you have made us to be through the blood of Jesus. And I pray tonight, Lord, would you please help me to speak, Lord, in such a way that would, would edify and build and help us, Lord, um, to be closer to you, closer to the Father, closer through the Son, closer by the Holy Spirit. And we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, chapter 4 is going to be tonight as a quick introduction to where we will be going. In the last study from week 3, we had Jonah finally arriving at the destination that God had told him to go to originally. Again, at the beginning of the book, the Lord had told Jonah in chapter 1, verse 1, Arise, go to Nineveh, I'm sorry, verse 2, that great city and cry out against it, for their wickedness had come up before me. He ran away. The Lord got him back. I'm not going to go through all those details. And finally, in chapter 3, he arrives in Nineveh and preaches the message that God has for him. The city remarkably decides to listen to what he said and repents from the lowest to the highest. They turn away from their evil deeds. They repent, and God then, at the end of chapter 3, says he saw their works, their works of repentance, and that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Judgment was part of what God had told Jonah to tell them, and it caused them to repent. It caused them to turn a new direction. Now, in chapter 4, which is the conclusion of the book, we read about what Jonah's reaction is then to this mass repentance of this ancient city, this city of Nineveh in the country and region of Assyria. And I've titled the study tonight this, Jonah's Third Journey. His first was going away from God. His second journey was going back to Nineveh. And the third journey, which is tonight, is the journey to the heart of God. And you'll probably notice this on the slide here. I put the hardest one. Now, I know probably in some ways you might be thinking to yourself, wow, getting to the heart of God has got to be, isn't that the, isn't that the easiest one? I mean, the other ones sound like so, so much 
more difficult journeys, right? To have to go on the sea, for example, or to be swallowed by this great fish or being traveling across uh, great um, wilderness and desert in order to get there, in order to get to that ancient city of Nineveh. But I submit to you the hardest thing for human beings to do in every generation, whether it's we're talking about Jonah himself and the people he was ministering to, or us, is to actually arrive at and understand the heart of God. We are, we are very exposed to the things of God. We're exposed to his ways. We're exposed to his creation. We're exposed through his, through his word to his, his mind, his purposes. But the actual transformation of a human heart to, to be less motivated by its human desires and wants and to actually change and to become one that is after and arrived at the heart of God is a rare thing indeed. And I think we all know that intrinsically because just take a quick landscape through the Rolodex of your mind. Think about how many people you know that act exactly like Jesus did. Now, certainly there are some people that you know that act somewhat like him, or those who would act or desire to act more like him. But as far as those who actually, in their heart, is fully given over to the heart of God, fully given over to knowing him, to making him known in every area of their life, I submit to you, that is a rare thing indeed. And Jonah, although he was a prophet of God, is going to be going through a lot of stuff of process. This is definitely a process kind of character, isn't he? Jonah, I mean, like, he's a squirrely guy, you got to admit it. An interesting character. I mean, you could make a whole sitcom, I think, probably about Jonah because he's just such an interesting character. He'd be kind of like, he's kind of like the Kramer of the Bible or something, you know, just very unpredictable Interesting character, that character, great character from the, the sitcom uh, Seinfeld. But he has a long way to go to really understand who God is, even though he has heard his voice. Even though he has been used as a prophet, he has not yet arrived at this great journey, the third journey, the hardest one, the heart of God. So I'm going to read through the entire chapter. It's not very many verses. And we're going to kind of go down and kind of break it through into small sections. So let's begin. Jonah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. So God has just relented from this judgment, and Jonah now says, But it displeased, excuse me, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Isn't that amazing? If you or I were in, in, in any type of ministry or in evangelism, and we went and we were used by the Lord to cause 120,000 or more people to turn to Jesus, you would be writing emails and letters home. You would be like, look at what happened. Look at how the Lord used me. Not Jonah. Jonah is exceedingly displeased. In fact, interestingly enough, the word there for exceedingly in the, in the Hebrew is gadol, and it's the same word as Describing the great fish in verse 17 of chapter 1. Great fish, gadol fish. Here, gadol or exceeding displeasure. So it's interesting to think about those two different types of greatnesses. And he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord. Now notice this prayer. Ah, Lord. Was not this what I said when I was still in my country? So this reveals 
This is what he really thought when the word first came to him to go do this great missionary work. Ah, oh, Lord, was, this, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. He knew the character of God. He knew it at least mentally. He knew who he was. And interestingly enough, this, this description of God is actually the similar one that we read about in the book of Exodus in 34. And this is actually the description that God says of himself when Moses has to go and make the tablets of the Ten Commandments the second time after, remember, he, he went up the first time and he broke them. So this is like the, the Lord giving Moses a second chance and also when the Lord reveals these amazing things about the character of God. Jonah now concludes, verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. What a statement is that? After being used the way he was used, he is upset, exceedingly angry, and he wants to die. Then the Lord said to him, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade until he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. I find this to be hilarious. He's thankful for a plant, but really mad about 120,000 people coming to know God and repenting. It's just like, this guy's got his priorities all messed up. But as morning dawned, verse 7, the next day God prepared a worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Note that's the second time that he's desiring this. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? He said, it is right for me to be angry, even to death a third time. Quite the character. But the Lord said, verse 10, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. At first glance, chapter 4 is, in some ways, Almost like a buzzkill, I think, for the study. It seems anticlimactic, right? I mean, it actually ends in a question. This is not very 
common in Scripture, although there are some books that end with odd statements. So this is not un, unknown in, in the biblical books that we've read or, or discussed. But as I studied this more and more, I began to kind of understand a little bit more about what was really going on in this chapter. And I think like with most things in the Bible, it's like there's more than meets the eye. The journey here to the heart of God, which again, this is, this is the point of this chapter. This is the point of what's going on as far as what God is doing and what's happening to Jonah. And, and by the way, if you're ever studying the Bible and you're like, well, what's really happening in this? Or maybe you're studying your own life and you're like, what's happening to me? You always have to look at these two things. What's going on with me and what is the Lord doing? If you can move yourself to the place where you can consider and look at and see and find out what is the Lord doing in me, you will always be on a good track. If you're always just trying to figure it out for yourself, you're probably going to miss a lot of information. So this journey begins with Jonah complaining about a revival and complaining about God's goodness. And as I pointed out before, that, that description of who God was is from Exodus 34. And it, it is, it's just a surprising thing that, that, that Jonah begins this way, considering the fact that he was a prophet. Nevertheless, the Lord responds to what he says, even though he wants to die. And the Lord says in verse 4, is it right for you to be angry? It's as though the Lord is like listening to all this stuff that is coming out of Jonah, his mouth, his heart. And you know the Lord could have said all kinds of other things. I mean, I've mentioned this before in, within the study of the book of Jonah. There's many times the Lord could have, could have just laid waste. He could have kind of pulled a, like what happens at the end of the book of Job, Basically, where the Lord says, you know, why don't you be quiet and let me speak for a few chapters? And he just kind of goes, push, push. that sounded pretty good, actually. And he just kind of, he kind of slaps Job around with knowledge and with information and just kind of puts him in his place. Now, the Lord could have easily done this here. He could have, he could have done that. But I, I wrote here on this, on this slide, what does God not do? He does not mention the, the wretchedness of his prophets. He doesn't mention the fact that he is misunderstanding. He doesn't mention the fact that he is behaving rudely or that he is just very immature. He doesn't say any of that. What does he do? He poses a simple question pointed right at Jonah's heart. And the question there, I need to elaborate here for just a minute. When he says, is it right for you to be angry? It doesn't mean rightness as in moral rightness. The real question he's being, being asked here is, is this good for you to be angry? Is it joyful for you? Is this helping you? You see, the, what the Lord is doing is he's taking a mirror and he's just letting Jonah see himself in that mirror. Have, has the Lord ever done that for you? where he's just kind of taken that mirror of, okay, here's what you actually look like. Here's what's actually going on. How's that working out for you? Things going well there? Are you justified in your anger? Are you justified in your, your desires, your wants, the things you've been complaining about? He's like, look at yourself here. Is that what you want? And notice that's all that God says at the beginning of this chapter. A simple question. 
Is this anger that you have, is this, is this frustration that you have? And again, thinking back to Jonah's past, right, as, as a prophet that was used to, to regain a, a large portion of, of territory with Jeroboam II, a prophet who was used by God to do something positive for the nation, now, now having to go to the people who, from whom he had to take that land. Again, there's, there's understanding for certain aspects of frustration, but Jonah, are you, are you better off? Are you well nursing this wound of yours, nursing this perspective that you have of the Ninevites and, and what, who you think these people are and what they deserve? Is this working out for you? Many times in the Gospels, Jesus also asks, asks very simple questions. In fact, I'd say some of the most profound statements are found in the questions themselves of Jesus Christ. I'm just going to walk you through a few of them because they've been the kind of questions that have legitimately stopped me in my tracks for good and caused me to really think about, you know, what, what am I doing? What am I thinking? What, how exactly am I processing life? From Matthew 6, 27, it says, Can any of you by worrying add a single moment to your lifespan? He just asks a simple question. Is that worry going to ever produce something good in your life? It's enough to just stop you where you are, right? Or how about this one? What did you go out to the desert to see when he was talking about John, John the Baptist? And they were talking about who he was and he was supposed to see. And they see, he said, well, why, what, did you go out, what did you go out to see? The, the point is that they were going out to see, to see and to hear a prophet who would say to them the things they needed to hear. That's why they went. And why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? Another one of these simple questions that just comes right down the pike. Why were they doing that? Why, did, why had they built up all these things? And again, if you have ears to hear, which is so much about listening to the Bible, do you have ears to hear? Do you have ears to hear God's voice? Are you, are you allowing God's word to have a mirror and to put it before your face so that you can actually see yourself and do what you need to do having seen that reflection of who you are? And lastly, but who do you say that I am? When Jesus pointed that out to the disciples and then to Peter. The most important question of all, really this last one, who do you say I am? If you say that Jesus is Messiah, if you say that Jesus is Lord, then it would change everything about how you interpret his words, about what he means into your life. Who do you say I am? These are the questions that are very similar to what God is asking Jonah right in this situation. Yes, you're angry. Yes, you're frustrated. Yes, you have all these kind of pent-up things in your mind and your heart. Is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? And in verse 5 through 9, there begins to be this kind of back-and-forth situation between Jonah and God it's almost kind of reminiscent of the, the wrestling that happens with Jacob and the man who crosses the Ford Jabbok 
in the book of Genesis, which is, of course, is the Lord. There's a kind of a wrestling going on here as they go back and forth. First of all, notice this in verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. I'm just going to point out a bunch of little details in here that I think are quite telling. The east side of the city. Now, look at this map up here. Nineveh is way to the east of Israel, right? Israel is on the far left of that map. Damascus and then Israel and Jerusalem just south of that. Nineveh to the far right. If he went and sat on the east side of the city, this is a sign that he's not trying to go home yet, is he? He's, on the, he's even further away from home when he goes there. Why does he do that? Why does he sit on the east side of the city? He's going up because he hopes that God will still judge the city. This is still in his heart. And he makes himself there a shelter. Notice that in the text. He makes himself there a shelter. And the Hebrew word there for the shelter is asuka. You guys ever heard of this word, asuka? So asuka is a shelter that was, that was built to protect. It's kind of like a tent, or we also call this a tabernacle. Have you ever heard of the Feast of Tabernacles? The Feast of Tabernacles is also known as Sukkot. And what the Feast of Tabernacles was, is they were required, in remembering that their forefathers were strangers and sojourners, they were required to build these booths or these tents and to live in them for a week's time so that they would remember, even though they had their cities now and they had their land now, there was a time where they were strangers. There was a time when they were sojourners. There was a time where they did not have a permanent location in which to live. Jacob himself actually was the forerunner of this, this idea of the Sukkot because in Genesis 33, he actually built a Sukkot in order to uh, provide a shelter for his livestock. That's where they actually get the city name Sukkot, which is in current modern-day Israel. And then in Leviticus 23 is where we have the actual holiday of the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot. So he builds himself a Sukkah. Now, you're probably thinking, like, okay, what's the big deal, Pastor Jeff, about a Sukkah that he builds on the east side of the city? Well, think about this. The purpose of that structure was to remind you about other people who would be strangers and foreigners just the same way that the Israelites were. That was the whole point of it, was to remind them that it's not all about you. There's other people out there. There's other situations going on, and you need to remember that. And so he builds a structure that, up until this point, was symbolic of remembering previous plight and remembering the plight of others. But does he understand that at all in this situation? No, it's like, it's like completely going over his head. He's built a structure, but he has completely missed the meaning. He's come to be a prophet, and he's completely missed the meaning. He's come to deliver people, and he's completely missed the meaning. Guys, I submit to you, Jonah has missed the whole point he is so far from the heart of God. He is so far from understanding what God's purpose is in his life. And yet, does God get mad at him? He asked him that simple question before. Does he get mad at him at this point? No. What does God do? Even after leaving town, building a sukkah, then the Lord 
prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah. Now, again, he already had a structure. The Lord has given him like, you ever, you ever got moved into a house and somebody brings you like a, like a house plant, like a housewarming gift? This is almost like, a, like, like Jonah's house, coming, uh, house or sukkah coming gift, whatever you want to call that. And he, really, he brings a plant to grow and provide yet more shade for him. What is the Lord doing? He's comforting him. He's taking care of him, even though he's been complaining. Has that ever happened to you? Where you've gone through a period of your life, a day or two, a week, a month, it could be a whole season, I don't know, where you're kind of going the other way and the Lord still shows you kindness, still shows you compassion. That's what he's doing here. He's, He's trying to yet woo and woo and woo Jonah to finally understand really the heart of God. So he gives, he gives him this plant, and it comes up over Jonah that it might shade him for his head to deliver him from his misery. And Jonah was very grateful. But then as morning dawned the next day, God prepared what? A worm. That's fascinating, isn't it? God did this wonderful thing to protect Jonah, and now he provides a worm that will eat the plant and destroy it. I remember a long time ago, maybe about 10 years ago, we, we got these little tomato plants, and we were really excited about it. They're called, these plants called Everglades tomatoes, and they're really, really, really tiny. They, they, they were uh, grown out in the Everglades, and we got a couple of plants. Really tasty. You know, they're like cherry tomatoes, but even much more flavorful. And we went on vacation for like maybe a week, and we came back, and the plants were just gone, decimated, no fruit, nothing. And what was on them? a single caterpillar. I mean, it's amazing how much those things can eat if they're given the opportunity. So when I read this, I was like, I've been, I've been there, I've, I've, I've experienced that. So this, this worm so damages the plant that it withers. And it happened in verse 8, when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head. Now again, an east wind... An east wind, and I had to look this up because I wasn't quite sure. An east wind blows from the east towards the west. Okay? So an east wind is actually westward. You know, that's just the direction it comes from. Um, so think of this. Jonah has escaped to the east. He's got the, the little house there. He's got the house plant. The worm has come. Oh, he's, he's, he's upset about the fact that he lost this plant. A worm comes, the plant's gone. Now a wind comes. Where is the wind pushing him? Towards the city. Now that's interesting also. Because I think in the, in the back and forth of all these things, of, of Jonah doing building and leaving the city, and then, and then God providing a plant, and then a worm, and then, and then a wind. He's like, he's like, Jonah, go back. Go back. Take a look at what's going on there. It's this back and forth that has, has, to, has to happen. And the Lord is trying again and again and again to try to win over his servant. Does the Lord try again and again to win you over? Does he show you his mercy again and again every morning? Does he, does he bless you when it's not really, you're not really worthy of the blessing? Does he show you kindness when you're not worthy of the kindness? Does he send an east wind to kind of blow you in a direction, even if you don't want to go there, that's trying to say, hey, why don't you try going back to that place you left from? 
Or try, why don't you try to restore that relationship? Or why don't you try to finally get over the hill and the valley of that sin that's been, well, disastrously tearing you apart for the last 15 years? And the Lord will, over and over again, He'll provide a plant and be like, I don't deserve that. And He'll provide a wind and He will be pushing you. And there's this back and forth that's coming again. And even though he's pushing, being pushed by this wind, and the sun now begins to beat on Jonah's head, he, does, he, does Jonah get the back and forth? Does Jonah understand what God is doing? He doesn't. He doesn't get it. Because he wishes death for himself and says, it's better for me to die than to live. And God asks the same kind of question that he did before. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And again, it's not a moral question. It's a qualitative question. Are you doing well with the anger that you have, Jonah? Are you, are you happy up here on this hill, waiting for like, destruction to come, as though, as though he was waiting for Sodom and Gomorrah to be just melted away? He's up there almost like a person with popcorn waiting for a show to happen, just for destruction, you know? Are you doing well, Jonah? Is this, is this working out for you? And the Lord comes to us again and again in our lives and asks us the same question. Hey, Jeff, how's that, how's that working out for you? How's it working out for you holding on to that, that anger and that bitterment? How's that working out for you holding on to that resentment? How's that working out for you when you, when you withhold forgiveness from that person? How's that working out for you? Is it going well? Is it going good? You know, sometimes I, I know in my, in my life, this, this, is, this is me. This is what happens to me. I'll go through a period of digging in my heels. I'll say, no, this is the right thing to do. This is, I'm going to do this thing. And I'll be stubborn about it. And I'll dig in my heels and I'll say, no, this is, this is, uh, this is exactly what's going to happen. And, and then a time of quietness will finally come and I'll just hear the still, small voice of the Lord. And, he, and this is what he says to me. This is just me. He says, Jeff, is this the kind of person that you want to be? And that always makes me hang my head <laughs> in shame because he's just showing me the mirror. He's like, is that what you want to be? Is that what you want to do with the life I've given you through Jesus? Is this the reflection that you want the world to see? Is this what you want your family to know you as? And that still small voice always is more profound in my life than any amount of yelling any amount of getting getting my attention anything and he just says, Jeff, really? Is this what you want? Is this the kind of person you want to be? Stuck in your ways? Stubborn? And I think that's exactly what the Lord is doing in this back and forth. He just, he just gives him one more chance. Okay, well, let's try the wind. Let, let's try the plant. Let's, let's try this. And unfortunately here, even though the Lord asked this gentle question, this simple question, 
Is it right for you? Is it good for you? Jonah completely fails the test and says, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. Have you ever said that about your anger, by the way? It's right for me to be angry. You know, anger is something you have to be really, 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 really careful about. Because maybe like .0000001% of the time, is it actually justifiable or of the Lord? The rest of the time, it's absolutely not. But if you give anger a foothold in your life, if you allow it to be the thing that drives you, then you're going to end up like Jonah. You're in the middle of an amazing situation, and you can't see it. You're being used to do an amazing stuff. You can't see it. The Lord is trying to be right next to you. He's trying to be as close of a friend as he could ever be to you. You can't see it. Anger blinds us. Jonah is just, he thinks his, his anger is his salvation, I guess, in some ways. He thinks it's right for him to be angry, and he's willing, to, he's willing, he's so angry, he's willing to die in his anger. I mean, this is, it's hard to get more foolish than that, honestly. But that's what anger does to us. Like, have you ever met an angry person or just somebody who's being angry? Do you ever walk away from that situation being like, you know what, that is a really wise, angry person. You never, you never attach like a good attribute to their anger. You just say, that is an angry old man, or that is an angry young woman, or that is an angry whatever. You're never attaching something good to it. Be like, wow, you know, they were really patient in their anger. No, that doesn't happen. They were very kind as they were being angry. No, there, there is no good attribute that like gloms on to anger, you know? And when you meet somebody, by the way, I'm going to be preaching now. Um, when you meet somebody who's angry all the time, do you know how that happens? Like sometimes people meet people and they'll be like, oh, that's an angry old man or an angry old woman. They're not. They're just, they were angry when they were 20 and they just never learned how to get over it. You're looking at somebody who never really learned how to repent. Somebody who never learned how to apologize. And they just began to turn everything inward. That's what, that's what ang- anger is. It's all about you. Anger is a, it's a symptom of selfishness. Kids have to be taught how to deal with anger. It's a part of life. You have to be taught how to deal with it in a right way. You have to learn how to forgive. So this back and forth happens in verses 5 through 9. And I was really caught by this word here as I was studying this week. This word that we hear in, in first see in verse 7, not first see, excuse me, we see in verse 7 that the next day God prepared a worm. And then in verse 8, God prepared a vehement east wind. And we can look at this throughout the entire book. There are so many things of nature that God prepared in order to direct the life of Jonah. And it just has a little pictorial here. He prepared a storm when he was on the ship. He prepared a giant fish to swallow him. He prepared a plant to give him shade. He then prepared a worm, and then he prepared a vehement east wind. And the reason why I say this is because, you know, so often we can think in our life that we're just kind of going through 
We're just living life. We're doing this. We're doing that. But every single thing that happens to you that is giving you direction in your life, all the things that are pushing you, you know, you're like, why, am I, why is my life going this direction? Why is my life going this direction? Just the same way that the Lord prepared all these things, it was in order to guide and lead Jonah. And it is also an incredible display of the power that God has, right? That he has the ability to direct a storm, almost like a theatrical director behind the scenes. Okay, 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 get the lightning to strike now, and boom, it happens. This is the Lord in your life. Sometimes you will wonder, just as I do from time to time, why are certain things happening? Why did this happen in my life? Why did that happen back in middle school? Why did this happen with my family? Why did that happen with my friends? Why has this happened in my church? The Lord is the Lord of all nature. And He uses it. He uses it to guide and direct you but not just to experience things. He leads you and guides you so that you will get to know who he really is. And that's the but why. Why does God prepare all these things? Why is he so patient with Jonah? Why, why does he even allow him to come into this, this, this chapter we're studying, chapter 4? Because God wants Jonah to know who God really is. And the same thing is true for each of you. The things that have happened in your life, I can't even begin to explain all of them. You probably can't even begin to explain all of them. But I do know this. God used every single one of those things in order to show you himself. Whether it was something bad that you experienced so that you would learn not to go down that path, whether it was some good thing that was something gracious that you would understand his grace, it was all in order to get you to understand and to meet him. I said in the prayer as we began tonight, we're here to know God and to make him known. But you can't really do the second part, even, even though that was what Jonah was doing, right? He was telling them about God. You can't really make him known to other people unless you yourself know him first. Because that's the thing that will transform you. And if you're not being transformed, and again comes the mirror, if you're not transformed before God, if you're not transformed by who He is, what are you doing? Isn't that part of why we still come after God? Isn't that part of why we come to church week by week? It's not to just experience the same thing we did last week. It's because we desire something, right? You want something more than what you currently have of the Lord you want to be transformed into something that is like him. There's something that is constantly drawing you and so that you can be transformed in his presence. You know, this is the amazing thing about, about worship. Whether you're worshiping in a car, whether you're worshiping in a living room, you're worshiping here in a sanctuary, your worship has, a, has a, the opportunity to transform you to be more like him. Haven't you ever experienced that where you've been singing to the Lord or, or praising Him and afterwards you were like, why do I feel like lighter and more happy? It's because as you beheld His glory, He actually does a transforming work on your very soul. Like there's like, like an operation happening. I wish we could see the, the heavenly view of what really happened in worship when people were really worshiping the Lord. 
you'd probably see would be like a thousand arms coming down into the souls of, of men and women and children and like doing little operations of, of glory and taking away uh, uh, um, uh, anger and taking away uh, sadness and providing healing and, and, and forgiveness and, and glory and all this kind of stuff. And that's what's happening as we behold, as we behold him. That's what happens in worship. And isn't, again, that's why you're here. I don't want you to leave even tonight the same way that you came in. Not because of me teaching, but because of who God is. I want him to transform you, and he has the power to do it. That's why we come to him. I don't know about you, I don't want to be the same person I was two weeks ago. I don't want to be the same person I was a year ago. I want and I need to be transformed by the presence of God. I need to be more like Jesus. That's what it means to know him. And then making him known. And that's what God is doing. That's what God is trying to do with Jonah. He's showing him all these things to get him to see the one thing, which is the Lord himself. I told you at the beginning of the study tonight that this whole thing is one topic, right? That this, this last chapter of Jonah is really the third journey, and the journey is into the heart of God. And that's where we finally end up, or at least perhaps could end up, as we finish these final words. So there's been this going back, there's been the anger of Jonah, there's been the unjustified kind of selfishness of him. There's been the God wooing him. And finally, the Lord says to Jonah in verse 10, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. What is he saying there? He's not, God's not just talking about a plant. He's saying, Jonah let me show you where your heart is. Let me show you what you're really concerned about. You had pity, you had emotions, you had, you had care and concern for a plant, and you had nothing to do with it. God did the whole thing, but that's the only thing that you care about. What is he saying to Jonah? He's showing Jonah the mirror. Jonah, this is who you really are. And God is so good at doing this. And he's saying, Jonah, hey, Jonah, hey. You only think about yourself. He's completely wrapped up in Jonah, Jonah, Jonah. It's all, it's the Jonah show. It's all about him. It's about his feelings. It's about, it's about what he thinks should happen to the Ninevites. It's about what happened to him on the ship. It's about what happened here and what happened there. In a, in a weird way, even if you go back and read chapter two, and I read it quite a lot this week as I was studying chapter four, I was like, wow, you know, chapter two, this prayer that he has inside the, the belly of the fish is incredible. But in a weird way, it's all about him. 
Now, God, God wants you to know that you're valued. He wants you to know that your life counts. He wants you to know that when you repent and come to him, he is there to save you. But what's next? What is he saving you for? You know, God doesn't save people and then put them in a, in a trophy case, does he? He doesn't get people washed in the blood of the Lamb. They, they don't get baptized and they're like, okay, now, now for the next 40 years, just you know, sit in the back of the church and, and don't bother anybody. What? <laughs> that's, that's antithetical. That's, 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 that seems like the, the, the wrong plan. And yes, it is. You see, Jonah has gone through a dramatic thing where he realized that he was saved, that, that God was his salvation. But that's where it ended. And I fear so often people get saved, they get caught up in the emotion of salvation, they get caught up in being forgiven of their sins, but then they don't go on, okay, well, what's next? You know, there, there's, this, there's this great devotional book, it was what written like, what, 20 years ago, the purpose-driven life, and, and the whole purpose of that book is the first sentence. It's not about you. It's not about you. And that's what God was saying to Jonah. Look, you're, you're wrapped up in you. And when you're wrapped up in you, it's really hard for God to use you to do something. It's really hard for him to use you to touch the lives of other people. And we live in a very self-absorbed time. Self-absorption is like the cancer of our society. There's a lot of stuff going on out there. But the root of almost all of it is me. It's all about me. It's all about the things I want, about the things I, I desire, the things I want. And the Lord is showing Jonah who Jonah is. Jonah, you're wrapped up in yourself. The biggest emotions you had for this whole thing, 120,000 people saved and repenting in an enemy city. It's incredible. It's marvelous. It's unheard of. It's a miracle. And Jonah's emotions towards that are anger. And the only time of his joy comes out in dealing with a plant that he didn't even grow. Do you see how backwards that is? This is what God deals with human beings day in and day out. This is God's perspective of us. He's like, he's like I, I, did, I, did, I did all this work to make this one thing happen and you're still just thinking about you. But then he goes on. And he talks about God. Verse 11, And should I not pity Nineveh? You pitied the plant, Jonah. <laughs> let, me, let me show you about this heart. Let me show you about the heart of the Lord. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock. Jonah, this is your heart. Let me show you the heart of God. The heart of God is, I'm for them. Whoever them is, 
I'm for them. Whatever's going on in their life, I'm invested in that. Wrapped up in the lives of others. The next time you have a time of prayer, do this for me. little mental checklist time for when you, you have your time of prayer. What percentage of the time that you spend talking to the Lord is about you and your interests and your finances and your desires and how much of it is devoted to what somebody else is going through and what somebody else needs and what somebody else has put on as a prayer request. And I'm not saying that to provide some kind of weird sense of guilt, but sometimes we need this in our lives as Christians. We need to just have a simple scorecard. Am I becoming more selfish as a Christian? Or am I becoming more selfless? And a selfless person thinks about you, thinks about themselves a lot less. That's where that word comes from. Take a little inventory. Take a minute to really investigate when you are in prayer, when you are getting ready for the day, when you are doing this or doing that. How much of your life and your prayers are based on you? Now, what happened next? The book ends with a question, right? He's saying, you should have pitied what I've pitied. You should have valued what I've valued, right? And, that, and this, of course, is, this is the essence of knowing God, right? Of really knowing Him. Is the things that He loves become the things you love. The things He cares about are the things you care about. The things He wants you to invest in are the things you decide to invest in as well. That's the heart of God. And the question is, did Jonah arrive here or not? Jonah chapter 5. <laughs> it's interesting that it ends that way, isn't it? But I think that's part of the point of this book, is that there's this incredible adventure, and there's this kind of like hanging question at the end, because like with all things in God's Word, it wasn't just written to be a story about Jonah. It was written to help you and me. And so the question I have for myself, the question I have for you is, have you, have you arrived at the heart of God? And no, just if you're thinking, I don't think that it's just a destination you just arrive at. Like on a, I got there on Tuesday, Pastor Jeff, and I'm good. I'm good to go. It's something you are constantly coming back to. It's something you're constantly pursuing and seeking and knocking for. But the question remains, have you? Take a good look at your life. Are you responding more like him? Or does anger, for example, still just completely plague you and get you off the rail for six hours to like three weeks? Are, are you mostly concerned in walking through everything according to how you think it should work out? Or are you actually pursuing what's the next thing the Lord is trying to do in my life? Is that on the top of your list? Or how about just simply this? How concerned are you about other people? Just others. Even those that you may consider an enemy or those who may not be your, your friend. 
Have you written them off? When's the last time you prayed for your enemies? When's the last time you loved people that you don't even like? When's the last time you got food for somebody that didn't deserve it? These are the kinds of questions that are exactly what God is asking Jonah when he says, is it right for you to act this way? Is, 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 is this making you happy? And I'll just finish tonight with this. You know, there are, there are moments in your life where God will show you not just who he is, but he will also show you this other thing. He will show you the incredible joy of actually walking like he does. I remember it was maybe four or five months ago. And these, don't, these moments don't happen to me all the time. I'm so thankful when they do, but I'm not, it doesn't happen all the time. I'm going to a hospital. I'm going to go visit somebody. They're in a pretty bad state. I, I, I pray with them, and, and you know how it is. If you've ever visited somebody in the hospital, you feel a little bit helpless. You're like, really? All I can do is pray. There's an aspect that's there, right? We're praying, I'm praying with this person, and all of a sudden this, this nurse comes in the room, and she's praying with us. She puts her hand on my shoulder, and in that room, for that one moment, it's like it's pure glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord visited us in that hospital room. There is no one there for themselves. There is no one there for any other purpose other than just to ask the Lord for help. And the Lord visited us in that moment. And the reason I share that with you is this. The Lord has unspeakable joy for you as you seek to follow and get close to the heart of God. It's, it's not as though if Jonah, if Jonah had turned around and, and, and done better things or better responses, it's not that God would have said, I told you so. No, it's that if Jonah had done that, the Lord would have showered upon him glory and peace. You know the feeling, right? Peace that transcends understanding. Wow, I'm going through this, this crazy trial, but I, 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 <laughs> I don't know how, but I'm okay. That's the thing about it. Not to, like, not to like sell it, but in a certain kind of way, we have to recognize that coming after and seeking this journey to the heart of God has incredible rewards for the believer. Has incredible joy and incredible peace and the Lord visits his glory upon you as you get closer and closer to who he is. And so I just want to encourage you guys. Even if, even if as I've said maybe some hard things tonight about, about the mirror, about who, who are you really? About your prayer list, about this or that. It's not, it's not to cause some kind of hurt or harm in you. It's to say, look, God has a better way. And God has amazing fruit and he has amazing joy that he wants to visit upon you if you will really seek to go on the journey to find his heart in every situation that you're in.
And that's the book of Jonah. Let's pray. Lord, you know, you know, Lord, how, how selfish we can be. We can be selfish, Lord, in relationships. We can be selfish in friendships, Lord. We can be selfish in church. We can be selfish in the grocery store, selfish as we drive, Lord. It's so easy, Lord, to be all consumed with us and me. But Lord, we don't want to stay there. We want to we repent. We want to say, Lord, show me the heart of God. Lord, show me how to come after you in my life and not to be satisfied by the ways of the world or the ways of myself. Lord, we want to taste your glory tonight. We want to we see you lifted up. We want to see your ways manifested and we need your help to Lord to transform us Lord we are here because we want to be transformed we don't want to be more like us we want to be more like you and I pray and ask Lord would you please change our hearts change our hearts and make them Jesus' hearts. In, in your name we pray and we ask. Amen.